the Sports Career Podcast, episode 289, The Benefits of Unlearning as a Sports Coach. Hello Sports Achiever and welcome back to another episode of the Sports Career Podcast. I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in the football industry and coaching. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, before I talk about this week's podcast special guest, out of interest, have you checked out my free sports career mini course, which is all about helping you discover and start a career in the sports industry with confidence. This is for you if you're struggling to get your foot in the door in the sports industry. So head to education to sport forward slash MC and enroll today for free. Now, getting back to today's episode, this week's podcast special guest is Jenny Coe. Jenny is a high performance coach currently working at West Ham United Football Club but also co-author of Myths of Sports Coaching, which is her latest book. So for that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Jenny as a podcast special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Jenny will share her coaching career journey and explain to you the benefits of unlearning when pursuing a career in sports coaching. Jenny, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? Oh, well, I'm delighted to be here. And uh, I know it's been a long time coming, organising dates and stuff. So I'm delighted to be here and can't wait for this chat. It started with Irish dancing, Ed, diddly, 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 um, back in the day. And, you know, I only mentioned this to a friend of mine in the last six months, and I never really saw it as a sporting environment. But on reflection, it was a really um, early introduction to some of the communication relationship things that underpin I guess why I am the way I am now um I didn't feel valued I didn't feel the communication was good I didn't feel you know it was a nourishing environment so I quickly moved from there to the sporting world of swimming had some interesting individual exploratory uh, times in swimming kind of that all falling on my own back positive and negative outcome then I joined a team sport of basketball And I loved it. And I had a lot of kind of the typical success, making the national team, winning medals, school winning championships in the early doors. And I was like, oh, this is this is nice. This feels good. You know, playing in arenas, being a captain on the team. And and they must have known, like, these are these are the cheap trills for this one. Let's keep her hooked in. So I stayed on that path. And in a typical well, I won't say typical, but it's definitely from my angle in the longevity piece that we try to instill in some players or support them uh, with the kind of bigger picture of sport. I stayed coaching and transitioned early into coaching um, or paralleled for a while. So that was a really cool space to operate in coaching and playing at the same time in a sport I absolutely loved um, and trying to problem solve and understand the stuff that maybe I was seeing as a player from the sideline as a coach was a bit different. So, yeah, I went into that space and there was loads of little pockets. I worked with adults. I worked with children in, in different spaces as I went through uni. So um, I then came over here to I initially look at a PhD, Ed, which is fine, uh, which is funny, and then went into a space in primary school. So touching back into the kind of younger age group where I did my master's in sports psych and had a look at um, how I could support teachers understanding their unpleasant experiences in PE and how that was affecting their delivery and come away from this the same kind of behavior management strategies in the classroom as they would do or even help them see different angles of how you would do that in um, in the playground and um, so that was a really interesting and obviously I was in London not massively culturally different from um, an Irish and English perspective or UK perspective but definitely in the way the um, education system is set up so that was a kind of and and the diversity was just amazing so trying to navigate that space in some really tough um, environments and then I ended up going to coach development 
um, kind of role. I probably had done that for a number of years beforehand, um, but just didn't label it as coach development. I always had people around my environments and different systems that I operated in. And I was always big on sharing, supporting, understanding kind of the new journeys for people coming in to coaching, et cetera. Uh, so that kind of became a formal role in a high performance space, which is really cool. Lots of sports, fast paced, loads of development and lots of networking um, and building really strong networks, not just kind of flimsy, you know, high and hello elevator pitch stuff. Um, and then I came to West Ham where I am now. And that was a toe in the water for the first year. I did some kind of consultancy day a week or day um, a couple of days a month. And then thought, you know what, I'm doing a lot of work with coaches. I really see the value over the 25 years of dressing room management um, connectivity in multidisciplinary teams. So how can I come to a sport that I've never been in before and not very good at, although my first touch is getting better. Let's just put that out there. Um, and uh, to see how these fresh eyes could come into a space and be on the ground. So although I was working with coaches, as I said, it was maybe once every two months I go and visit them or I'd have virtual conversations. I really wasn't immersed in a team and I'd missed it from not being involved in basketball uh, for quite some time since I moved to London. So, yeah, that is a unorthodox whirlwind stop of the sporting journey. And there's some academic stuff along there. I mentioned the masters and stuff. And I'm doing some accreditation stuff this year um, to just further where I'm at in the areas of uh, interest. So, yeah, that's that's it. What a wonderful reply. I have to go back in time, though, with the tap dancing, <laughs> because hear me out here. I've not shared this on the podcast, but one of my early role models was Michael Flatley. And out of interest, was it your interest with the Lord of the Dance like? Because to me, when I was growing up, like in the early 90s, that's where like tap dancing had its sort of identity. So I I'm just assuming here. But for me, Michael Flatley just brought tap dancing to like a global level. And, you know, I'm just curious of if it was that sort of period that got your sort of toes in the water of using that sport to sort of be a platform to get into your coaching journey, which you've nicely shared. I'm just curious. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a great connection. And uh, thanks for disclosing that and sharing that. Now, you can never take that back. You know, he's <laughs> he's an iconic guy. No, but he's he's, he, he yeah. is. Uh, come on. Uh, let, let's, like, I've done his research because really quickly, like from a coaching standpoint, he used to do boxing whilst tap dancing to have the fitness. Oh, so, wow. and, and also um, he was quite an entrepreneur. He used his feet to do art as well. So it was, I've learned a lot about him. Like he, he's so, one person I'd love on the show class, I think his insurance of both his legs were over 10 million per leg. So yeah, if <laughs> he got injured. So yeah, anyway, sorry. That's sorry really to fascinating. Up. My goodness. <laughs> Here's yeah. me having loads of questions for you now. Um, I was pre-River Dance. I was pre-River Dance. I was pre-Lord of the Dance. Um, it was around the corner for me. It's uh, at the time, I can't say it was in our family, but it was very traditional in the area that and an option. And it was, I don't know if it was drizzled into the school at the time, but it was definitely an easy avenue to go, do you want to do Irish dancing? Kind of, everyone's doing it. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And, and, and that's, you know, what came of it. I imagine that the Lord of Dance, River Dance, I mean, I've traveled the world with basketball and I'd still say, oh, where are you from? I'd say, Ireland. Oh, this is River Dance. I'd say, actually, I'm from Washford, where the Washford Crystal is. Oh, brilliant. So I found my points of reference to try and get people going, oh, that cool place on the map. You should go there. Um, but yeah, I'd say it has, for people who are still in the Irish dancing or tap dancing world, I'd say it has just absolutely grown it exponentially with that kind of exposure. And just from a coaching standpoint, we're going deep in this area. From tap dancer, how has it supported you in your actual coaching, like with rhythm, with like teams working together in motion? I'm going a bit in depth here, but it is one of those sports when you see, let's say, 10 people tap dance, they're all in sync. It's just amazing to watch the skill element. But I assume it's like any coaching when a team is all in sync, let's say, with a football team formation. It's the same thing. It's just different sport but I'm just curious of how top dancing may have supported your coaching style reflecting you may not consciously know but I'm just curious <laughs> no absolutely you're spot on and I'm a big um well I'm a big fan or I I share it a lot and discuss a lot around this idea that you know we see the world as we are and not as it is because it's our journey it's our 
you know, as Anastasia says, biography, the skills, knowledge, behavior. So although I might not be able to initially go, oh, it's this moment in time, there's so many things that overlap in the early days of um, uh, Irish dancing and of swimming that connect into basketball, that then connect into, you know, all the other. But the timing thing, so discipline was one that popped out immediately when you were speaking there because it was really rigid, really autocratic and go and stop and start and rhythmic. And, and you kind of, you didn't have any autonomy. You just did what you were told. And then I, uh, at home, obviously my parents were really, really supportive, highly competitive as well. So we had a, a room, which we call the playroom and that had wooden floors down. So we'd be able to get the rhythm and the sound of the shoes on the on the wooden kind of uh, floor and, the, and there was just a stereo in the corner and it would play the music and you'd have to start at the exact time and lift your knee and posture but then you know does that transfer absolutely confidence posture uh timing like for swimming the starting off a block the timing to the you know the whistle or the gun at the time um and how you'd have that discipline to kind of um, I guess for in swimming, look at the you know, look at the lines over and again, up and down, up and down, timing on the wall as you come in, counting strokes if it's backstroke from the flag, um, into basketball where not just the initial tip off, but it's the timing on where the ball hits the ring, how you react into the coaching space, as you've already alluded to, is the, the connectivity and the language, the syncing, the eye contact, the nonverbals, what cues and triggers and nudges am I giving off? Um, and then into coach development allowed me to have those observational skills and piece them together, but very mindful that I have my biases and lenses that I have to check and challenge. So the camaraderie, the collaboration, the safety and challenge, all of that is playing a part as I continue to build on my journey, you know. And just with regards to the communication standpoint, you said it beautifully just then, but from a coach perspective, how have you developed your communication skills in general? Like you mentioned it really nicely with regards to you being a player and a coach. And I bet you had sort of like two minds at times going, oh, I've got my coaching hat on, I've got my player's hat on. But just from a, for people listening who want to start a career in coaching, like how does it develop your communication skills in general? I'm just curious on that side of things. Gosh, I mean, communication definitely at the forefront of everything I speak about. It's embedded in what I do. I'm very mindful of the language that I use. But the development piece is interesting because I guess people have to have a level of self-awareness. They've got to understand how the message that they send might not be interpreted in the way that they intended. So how can I check that that's landed? And in, you know, simplistic terms, you know, tell me, show me that kind of way. Uh, but how can we move beyond that in a development piece to really tune in and catch yourself in and out on things that you don't think are adding value to the environment that you're coaching in or working in? And sometimes that is just the pause moments after you speak. Sometimes it is silence. And even though you might know the answer or you want to jump in before someone's finished, is holding that silence to get a bigger picture. Maybe they were going to say it. Maybe they'd actually value you holding your silence a little bit. Or having difficult conversations, not at the other end of the spectrum, but it's definitely further down where you go, right, how can I plan for this conversation? And what type of delivery? Where, what environment am I going to have this conversation in? Is it a walk and talk? Is it going off the pitch in, in the football sense here, going from the pitch to the, the canteen going, oh, you know, what do you think of this? And I was, I was looking, maybe you could check this clip out and or a sit down where we have some data in front of us and we're really building trust here and going, I've taken the time to gather this. What have what are you bringing so it's um yeah it's this idea of generating feedback in the language part that I was getting to there but the development piece is, is down to the self-awareness and the empathy and the care part you know just going to the language side could you just emphasize like why that's important like the mindfulness of the words we use because I, I won't give real examples because I think sometimes it's heat at the moment with all these things but there are times when we say something we think it's funny or a joke, but to them it could be hurtful. And it's something really dif difficult when you're trying to build rapport, but also being mindful of what you say. Like, I think you can know there's probably examples out there where coaches have said something maybe out of turn and that's where the trust goes down. So just for people listening and go, okay, how can I be, be more mindful of my language? Would you mind just sharing how you filter that in that way? In a good way and positive, but I always think the negative's a good one to angle because... I want people to try not make the same global mistakes from a coach perspective, especially when it's high performance. <laughs> that makes sense. 
Absolutely. And if we think of like, so so many things sparked off there. So around the efficiency of use of language, Nick Winkleman does a great job. Now he's in the um, kind of S&C part, but he speaks a lot in his uh, books and webinars about how he's so mindful of the quick fire cues that he might give or the influence words that he might give to emotively get someone to react to something. So it, it could be push, but push has a common understanding amongst people where people put values on a wall and you've come into a building that has alumni um, pl plastered all over the place. What, what does discipline mean to you? So culturally, we have lots of different um, cultures operating here at West Ham, loads of different people who are bringing loads of experience, loads of journeys with them. But actually, they might come from a culture where discipline is something different to what I might understand or the manager or the wider team. So the, the effectiveness can be, you know, endless if we look at what those words mean to each person. So that's one angle. The, the other side there, well, not the other side, but the negative part. So we did, um, Stephen Rollinek uh, is one of the leading people in motivational interviewing. And I did a course there a little while ago with uh, Hugh Gilmore um, on motivation interviewing. And what it might take away, as mindful as I am of what I say, I'm very, as you said there, the make and break of relationships. I'm really big on relationships, the nourishing of relationships and not going, oh yeah, Ed and I are best mates. Well, we won't be if I don't revisit that relationship and check in and see how he's doing and, you know, bring, you know, questions and really intently ask and uh, try to see how he's doing. So it's that nourishing of that. So how do I do that through language? And the motivational interviewing caught me because I say, well done a lot. I say, oh, well done. Good job. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's amazing. And I came away from that thinking, wow, what a power dynamic I'm introducing by saying, well done. I think you've done a good job. So instead of trying to see where the person's at and them looking for validation, I then might go, that must have been really tough. Oh, I've noticed that you've worked really hard there or you've held your kind of integrity on that challenge and that problem or that's close to your value. Like whatever, whatever the topic might be that I'm finding an, a different entry point into the conversation than just condensely summarizing it maybe flippantly or maybe actually I do want them to know that I think as maybe the head coach that you've done a great job so that particular couple of words really caught me um, and in the early days of coaching you know good job lots of energy lots of reinforcement but was I missing a chance in the development piece or in the um, connection building the relationship building by not um not thinking of a different entry point and that I mean maybe a simple example for some and maybe you know way off for others but it was that's what I left this motivational interviewing course thinking how what have I noticed how can I connect with the person um, what language am I using to do that and then bringing it to my own environment in West Ham and thinking you know I don't want to be positive poly all the time I want to make sure I'm using my confetti in the right way you know so um, and it can be detrimental. Like you said, banter. Gosh, that could be a whole other podcast. Oh, I just shriek. I shriek. It could. It could. Yeah, I don't I don't like that word. It's just I use it because you're in the football world. It is used quite a lot. And, you know, or team sports. And I, I, I like to eradicate. You, you, I love your point when you said it's good to define certain words like networking, I call it. Uh, my definition is networking is a skill. So it means I have to keep improving. But that's my definition. But I've also learned another skill of like taking words out of your dictionary and one's banter and one's perfection. If you get those out, imagine they're not real words. I think the world's a better place in, in a way of our self-development. But with the words of banter, it, it, it there's sort of that sort of real black and white that this is right or this is wrong. And I think that's why I think language is, is crucial. But I want to touch on the self-awareness bit here because you've mentioned it a few times. You mentioned the importance of a coach understanding the environment. But is also self-awareness, particularly that you're in a team sport, but also their group of individuals. How important is it to see their learning styles individually and as a team now I know it's quite hard to do evaluation check that I don't know Amy's good visual and John is good audio you know but is that still part of the self-evaluation as a coach not just looking at the team environment but also looking at the individuals of how you can as you say push them or guide them or however direction you want to take them with their development I'm just curious of the self-awareness part because if a, if a coach gets this they've got the real toolkit so I'm just love your thoughts on that 
Yeah, for sure. So um, an interesting angle uh, coming to learning styles. So the book that we, uh, Amy Whitehead and I co-edited before Christmas that came out, one of the chapters by Anna Stoddard uh, demystifies this whole learning styles. And I've heard this come up quite a bit in different, it's still in a lot of curriculum, still in a lot of formal qualifications. And although, you know, back in the day, it was a really good vehicle for conversation to say to a coach, are you just doing this one style of delivery? Like pedagogically, are we actually able to see the bigger picture and the wider uh, opportunities of, of the learners learning in different ways? But what we have to shift away from is the fact that people are only learning by one style this kind of um, lingering myth. So if we look at the coach saying, I have been coached a certain way as an athlete, or I have gone to X amount of webinars and formal qualifications and ticked all these boxes, and they've all gone down this one avenue of delivery or a, a very technical way of delivery, all we've got to realize is this question. All we've got to realize is this question is, is there another way? And be very curious and not kind of, you know, there's a phrase like be curious, not judgmental, and maybe judgmental is wrong in this instance, but that level of curiosity of is there another way? Who can I ask? How can I see this from a different angle? And that could be a case of having a, a diverse group of people around you or in your social circles to tap into um, or trusted mentors or people to, to check and challenge your way of operating. But the self-awareness piece, and I am I, I'm, that's a really good question because I am a big believer that the how needs to come into conversations more that there's a lot of what's out there what you can do where you can find it what you need to do next what template what resource you can take but how do I do that how if I if I don't have the self-awareness I'm not going to be looking I'm not going to be thinking I'm doing something wrong I'm not going to have a flag going oh you know I'm spot on on my self-awareness so I don't need anything I'm I'm nailing these conversations they love me this environment's brilliant I'm awesome those people who are who are not saying that are probably more self-aware and going oh am I will I just check so I think there's a, a really interesting angle around the the kind of support network how often you reflect what that looks like the the feedback you get from people not even in a formal 360 way where you send questions out and you get back or you go on a course and um, yeah I'm going to be a great leader so I'm going to go on a leadership course but actually, <laughs> who is you? Who are you as a person? Why are you doing what you do? And then when you do your delivery, your your coaching session, or your your if you have more than one coaching person in your group having a chat and digesting the session with players with uh, your team, with your coaching team, then how do I get back to a point where I'm okay hearing that I didn't do spot on today? Now, I may have opinions of myself, but Ed might, you might come to me and ask me, you know, why do you think that session went? Well, yeah, well, I don't know. How did you find it? Oh, thanks for asking. Well, what I noticed was, and then you're both in a kind of safe environment to say, Jen, I thought you could have been a little bit more succinct on that. Oh, really? Okay. What did you notice? I noticed a couple of players kind of switching off a little bit or, okay. And are they the same players who always do that? Is that their kind of regular body language? Well, and then in our world, you know, the SNC person might say, yeah, they were a bit disconnected in the gym today. So maybe it wasn't you, maybe it's something with them, but who's going to have a chat with them. So I'm, I'm going way off topic here, but there's definitely a bigger self-awareness piece and linking back to the previous point around banter, because I do think it links nicely. Well, nicely around banter it does make me shudder if we have um like humor and and we understand that each person's humor might be slightly different or how they're using that humor humor can be a really cool powerful tool to have to lighten the mood to get yourself ready for a session to help in the you know monotony of a day or a week if you are in professional sport or if you just have a schedule that's repeating itself i think sarcasm it's something that can pull people down. It can be used previously as a defense mechanism. So humor might be able to lift an environment. I mean, sarcasm might leave a couple of people feeling a little bit like, ooh, you know, was that at me or was that at someone else? But actually, could that be me? That was a bit sharp. And then the banter kind of, for me, falls in the middle. Now, I haven't really explored this. I wrote it down at a workshop uh, last weekend with some uh, rugby league coaches. And it was a great conversation where I was thinking, yes, different types of humor, but language again, 
I'm using this to connect with somebody and they might have had a different experience where humor, sarcasm, banter was used in a different way. And the self-awareness connection is sometimes you meet people who use that as an introduction. You know, they might say, oh, here, you know, here's potato. <laughs> I'm like, oh, do you mean to say hello? Oh, yeah. How are you? <laughs> you know, and so. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go straight into it. It's like how we got connected to LinkedIn. We're just trying to get dates. It's like, Ed, you're going to kill me that I've got a delay. I was like, it's cool. And you sort of go with the flow. I think that's what I've learned. And I love that because I knew before getting on there, I was like, this is going to be a fun conversation. We're both going to be bubbly and hopefully we're going to be educating the listeners. But I knew beforehand just with the messages. And for me, it relaxed me because sometimes when reaching out, we're in this world that everything has to be so professional. We can't just lower our vulnerability just to be ourselves. It goes back to your point earlier with regards to being in your coaching style. So sorry to interrupt, but I think that's so important of what you've just said there, you know. But you're at nothing, Ed, if you're not yourself. Like, I'm not saying that we don't. I know Goffman did a lot of work on your know, front stage, backstage, and how we sometimes have to be in different characters and stuff. In the, in the world of coaching and actually probably in other worlds as well, because our personal life, as much as we don't want it to come in and we say, you know, leave your personal stuff at the door, like that isn't realistic. Part of how we're emotionally connected to all the experiences that we have is that we are connected as a whole human being personally and professionally. We can go to work and we can switch it on and off or dial it up and down. But actually, um, the it's the enjoyment in doing what you're doing. Hopefully people are enjoying coaching. If they're not, get out. It's too big of a job. Too underpaid not to do that. Get out. So you're, I think the, the really cool part of that is if I can be myself or I can at least show people that I've made a mistake, I've, I don't know something, I don't have all the answers, I'm not um, operating in silo those kind of things make people come and have those doorway conversations or walk from a to b conversations or sit in the canteen conversations i'm using my own references here but um yeah i think that's a you know i, I don't tend to change too much but you'd see different levels of energy around different things that i'm passionate about or excited that also comes with waffling sometimes because i get so excited i'm not like smashing those points but that's okay too you know, and I am working on that, but I'm OK saying sometimes I don't have the exact answer. Sometimes it needs more work. Do you think the answer comes when you be a coach, when you put it all into practice, like the how? That's where the answers come. And like, much as we can go on courses, webinars, books, we will talk about your book very shortly. But just what you've just said, really, the best learning lesson is actually the practical experience of in the moment or being in the present moment and coaching. What are your thoughts on that? Well, really. That's a brilliant one as well, because yesterday I had a conversation with a good friend of mine, Trish Jackman, who's a lecturer up in Lincoln Uni. And we were sitting there chatting to a multitude of things. We're doing our exams together on the seventh, sort of prepping for that and meandering conversations as we usually do. And she said she came across a body of research that says it takes 17 years for research to come into practice. And if people say, you know, which I have heard so flippantly, oh, yeah, but the, it's the experimental and it's the empirical stuff that they just bring them together, but operate at really different rates. So I can cram four years in uni or three years in uni um, at, in a sports science degree and I've got a coaching thread and I'm going to or I might do a coaching degree. It doesn't equally sign for a number of reasons that I'm going to be a great coach you know, one of those reasons could be that there wasn't enough opportunity. So I don't know what the real world feels like. I've been doing an under eight session for an hour on a Sunday, but does that mean I'm going to have the same parents when I go into a full-time job in it or even part-time with more hours, more admin safeguarding the psychology that now people say I have to be aware of the checking in and reflecting. My goodness. <laughs> am I, am I ready for all this? You're running out so, of fingers now. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I think there's a really key part there of knowing why you're doing what you do, having the underpinning and not just like putting your finger in the air and going, oh, one time I sat in a webinar during COVID and they said to do that. So I'm doing it here. Oh, how far? How far? So finding a way to go, what does that look like in my environment? If I implement it, make sure I'm reflecting, make sure I'm checking and challenging myself with other people. I could record myself, audio, video. I could ask for feedback from the people in front of me. I could get parents to volunteer and what, you know, there's a, there's a whole range of areas. But I do think you're right there around the, the doing part. Now, I am biased on that 
definitely am. I'm a I'm a doer. I've been on the you know poolside, <laughs> courtside, pitch side, you know, all the different spaces in the different roles. So I'm a definitely um, I'm a practitioner um, at heart in all I do, but I definitely know why I do what I do. And if I don't, I'm reading. I'm reading papers. I'm reading books. Um, I'm sharing with others who challenge me and they go, oh, yeah, have you thought about this, Jen? And I go, Ugh. and that happened this morning in a conversation when we're talking about reflection and, and a, a research project we did last year, which is going to come in a report and a paper this year with the West Ham uh, women's team. And, and I said about reflection, I was like, but how can we get this information? Um, and one of the amazing doctors who was on it said, hmm, but do we need to see the reflections? I thought, yeah, let's go back over some stuff again. So, you know, it's that revisiting of I'm down this channel and getting stuff done. I might be on a conveyor belt. Ooh, got some really cool people in a safe space saying, have you thought about this, Jen? But that's the key about curiosity. Sorry, going back to your point on that, which I think is important. But one thing I do want to touch on before we talk about today's podcast topic and the book as well. And I always like to sort of clear this one myth before we talk about the book. On my podcast, I've had many coaches and always find like this high performance coaches like this, like podium pillar of type of coaching. And then when I speak to them going like, what's the difference between grassroots coaching and high performance coaching? They say it's exactly the same. Actually, the real coaching is at the grassroots level to get real experience. I just would love your thoughts from your experience, actually. And you mentioned it right from the beginning of like you doing some experience with schools, PE and their behavior, like for young coaches starting out, like starting at schools is a great way to start because you're getting the reps in but when you're in that high performance setting you've got your coaching sort of philosophy of course with curiosity but a lot of people want to go from like like starting to say high performance coach and honestly guys I've had a lot of coaches and it doesn't work like that so I, I want to just get real to people that starting at schools is a great way to you know get that foundation right from the get-go and I just want well love your thoughts of what I've said just to clarify to any young coaches listening right now. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Listen, I'm on that bandwagon Ed, all day. Um, I don't think people have to stop being aspirational or can volunteer in those spaces along with the other coaching. Um, what I think is, you know, a real, there's loads of avenues. So there's the, the athlete who transitions straight into coaching without having a gap and understanding the way they've coached isn't the way that they being coached to coach. Um, so that's an exploratory space that we need to keep supporting and understanding. There's then the coach who comes in as a, a new coach, not necessarily age as such, but a new coach into a space, not a lot of experience, but the guy or woman who's coaching that space is, you know, 75 years at it. And they don't really believe in CPD and they haven't brought their coaching on. So now you're observing other ways of coaching that might not be as effective. And you've got this whole grapple of I'm a new coach. I go in to watch a webinar because I'm super eager. I'm taking all these resources. I'm learning. I'm going to workshops. But my environment is a little bit different and it's hard to have those conversations. And not everyone's privileged enough to have a team to themselves when they come into that coaching space. And the other the other angle is. Years ago, years and years and years ago, when I was um, back home in Waterford with the, the Wildcats team, we had 10, 11 coaches um, over a 12 year period and they were from all over the world and they all brought their own way of coaching. At the time, I probably didn't take on as much of the gold that was in front of me. I was a player, I was an athlete getting coached. I was like, but last year he said this way, but you know, this this year she says this way. So I was trying to adapt. And now I see, you know, so much, so much value in all that. The point I'm making is those coaches at that level weren't being brought down to, and I say down only by age, to the younger age. And I'm thinking this is a golden opportunity for our head coach who is an international coach or has experience from all over the world to come back down to the under 12s, under 14s and share and then impart that. So then the new experienced coaches who are coming in are getting this level of excellence. Um, and it's not saying, let me backtrack slightly, it's not saying that people who've been around the game for a long time aren't developing. I've just seen in instances across different sports, the people who, you know, I've been coaching for 30 years and there's that cliche, have you been doing that one year 30 times? Is that what we're looking at here, you know? Um, and complacency can kick in. So it's trying to say, well, you know, I don't necessarily think that you can go from being an incredible athlete directly into being an incredible coach. 
I do think there's lots of great examples, but I think you've got to know where your starting point is, um, that they'll have different drivers, they'll have different levels of execution of, of different skills and stuff. So it's a really, it's a really, really interesting space, but there's a reality check, as you've said there in the intro to this, you've got to put in the hard work and graft and there's no shortcuts. The fast tracking has its gaps. So you may get an opportunity and you may seize that with two hands mighty, but go there with a reality check that you are on a journey. You've got to be self-aware. You've got to be reflecting a lot. You've got to have a good network around you, coach, developer, mentor to take you on that journey because that, you know, that's a key part, but it's only a part. You're already now touching really quite nicely with us today's podcast topic then. So what are the benefits? Let's say in that 30 experienced coach, like for example, what are the benefits of like unlearning to sort of relearn as a sports coach to develop? So it's all that sort of two steps back, one step forwards. I'm really curious because it's part of your book as well. And that really caught my interest because even myself, let's say podcasting, I'm like, well, Ed, I've been doing it seven years. Okay, how can I elevate what I do than just following the same sort of rinse and repeat method? So I'm just curious of the power of unlearning. Yeah. So this is something for a long time that I found really interesting, the unlearning part. Um, and part of me thinks that we should never unlearn. We should just find another way of doing something. And then I think some people have you know, maybe that's a good term for people to relate to and go, yeah, well, I've just got to stop doing that because that isn't helping me. So I, you know, say I go, I'm only doing this way of delivery. I've got to find multitude of ways of doing it. So the power in that is if you look at the, the common thread through all 20 chapters of the myths of sports coaching book, what you have is who are the people in front of you? Who is that person? And how can I understand their motivations, give them a sense of belonging, and support them to have the autonomy to master something in my environment, be it in an individual session through how I design the practice or how we design it. I mean, I'm not saying we go completely over to everybody's designing everyone. The eight year olds are like, yeah, let's do that. But why not? Why not? understand these people so much to go what's their level of fun and enjoyment what does competing in a session look like what's the success criteria and that's threaded across all 20 chapters if we're looking at the care and coaching if we're looking at do I have to have uh, played it to coaches um, looking at the fun uh, you know functional movement um, and the deliberate practice chapters there's loads, the stepping stone chapters for the female coaches saying, you know, what have you experienced and how are the, you know, in some sports, male coaches coming into those to step and move on. So there's loads of stuff there to look at who are the people and how are they impacted? What kind of environments are we creating for the people in front of us? And the, the yeah, the kind of part of me that gets really animated about this is that we need to check in with these milestones in our life to know what you've taken on. So when people say, what's your key takeaway? And I did, I recorded, um, I do a, a weekly session with Nick Lavette. We do a coach convo thing. And we spoke about this yesterday that um, on a basis webinar, I was listening to their um, multitude of different people presenting. Um, and one of the guys presented this kind of concept, uh, uh, an analogy rather, of how you might look at um, a multidisciplinary team working together. So I won't get into that now. It was really useful, but it was only useful because it was relevant. I had the foundation already in place. So I could take that, that takeaway and I could use the tools and people that I have to try and see what that would look in mind, explore it, unpick it a little bit more. And that's how it was useful. That could, but going on a general webinar and people say can you write your takeaway in the box and I'm going god I don't know any time I don't know what I've taken away there's some things that have sparked my curiosity there's some things that I'm interested in investing more time in there's some things that you know I want to park that is not relevant right now but I might write them down in a on my notes or in a, on a powerpoint somewhere so yeah it's it's um it's back to that self-awareness piece I only know I need to unlearn or to stop learning something or to shift my view by the fact that I've stopped and checked in with myself something has said you know Ooh. do you think we also have got to process the information anyway because I'm like the same I'm going to be really honest everybody they know right at the end I say what's your biggest takeaway from this podcast and very rarely people reach out and I just thought just now you triggered it when you've listened to an hour podcast there's so much going in your head that you probably need to sleep on it 
to, to process it. And then you make that decision. I, I spoke to another coach called um, Fritzi, who's the under 17 Germany coach. And when she makes a decision, she makes, she, she tries to sleep on it and then makes the decision the next day. Like then being sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like making a quick decision sort of, of instinct, then like making like a clear decision, if that makes sense. So going back to your point, is it, we need time to process information before unlearning for that next step. Is that, is that what you sort of mean as well? Yeah, I think there's different different environments and different scenarios that will mean in some cases we need to make a quick decision and move on. Make the decision, trust that you've got the information um, you know, gathered and collated. But actually, uh, I think somebody quoted Obama. I think it was Steve Bartlett on his CEO podcast said um, he had been listening to someone with Obama or he was interviewing someone who referenced him and he said, I had so many things to consider when I was making decisions that if I had, if I felt I had 51% right, I made the decision. Now I know we're talking about, you know, the president of the United States, but if we look at like, how much information do you actually need? What's your gut telling you? What is the data? What are the people around you? What's the reaction in the environment to the situation that you might need to make a decision about? And can you make that decision and move on? And then other times, absolutely, you need to process it. So it's like that thing where you say, write your strongly worded email and leave it in your drafts and then go back to it. So if you're, you know, finishing a session and you hop in your car and you might turn on your voice recorder and go, I'm going to download my brain now. I'm going to two minutes of talking and see what comes back from it. Listen back. Think about maybe the people, what I've noticed in my environment today at a competition and training, the interaction I've just had, a comment from a parent in the car park. How's that all filtering in? Because our memory isn't amazing. It's the association and piecing of things together that allows us to go, that made me feel this way. Oh, okay. Or that appears the same way as it did the last time, but have it checked in. So without digressing too much, I definitely think there's this time where some people need more time. You ask me a question, I might answer it, and then I might definitely, not might, will think about it later and go, oh, I should have said that should have said that that would have been a better answer that's actually you know more time but also it's off it's off the cuff so it's it's part of the authenticity that I'll bring that and people go yeah but Jen do you really think that way well actually now you've made me think about it so I'm okay saying I probably would have answered that slightly differently but I don't dwell on it for too long because I'd only bury myself and go well you know no you shouldn't have done that and what if and what if and what if so I think there's a you know there's a piece where in say the school environment or educational um, environments where we we do this retrieval recall stuff you know and putting people on spot and I I think that can be detrimental if you're not having a good experience or you haven't had a good primary secondary experience or a home life where someone goes get the right answer and you get a smile or you get a thumbs up or don't get it and you don't know it and if you can retrieve how to make this type of pass or how to fine tune something in the pool on the bike or in the boxing gym or you can, you know, whatever the situation is, I think that can be really damaging and it can actually prevent the creativity from coming into if it is in the sport or it's in your way of thinking as a coaching group or a teaching group or whatever, leaving people go, hey, listen, these are, this is what's on the agenda. These are the questions I'm going to ask. Have a think about it. And just tailing back to the unlearning side, because honestly, I think I've opened up a can of worms because we could go in all different directions, but I want to just talk about a process. I assume learning, unlearning means like trying to simplify a certain process. So let's say I, it's like a seven steps to launch my podcast, but because I've been doing it for so long, Ashley, Ed, I can do it in four. So I've unlearned three of those things that are irrelevant. Is that what you also mean with unlearning as well? It's not just what we learn from a knowledge perspective. It's how we, you know, it's like our to-do list, but doing it more effectively. It, I, I'm just curious on that point. Yeah, um, gosh, that's really making me think. Um, what's common to me is a lot of models and theories around making life and things more efficient so the process of the simplistic form of like um the the what happened the so what and the now what of a, a recycle model a reflection model so you would have you know what happened um so what does that mean how did i feel about it how do i interact and now what what do i do with that information so that kind of level of having something that I can follow and guide or from a, a 
a kind of planning delivery point of view, a plan, do, review, that process of plan it, do it, review it, that kind of cycle or model or process or steps of things. But I think what catches me sometimes is it's not that linear and there has to be exit points where you can pause and go, I need to come back to that because I don't actually know if I'm able to answer, ready to answer and come back in. So the unlearning part for me is catching me. The word is because I think there's just another way of doing it. So if I learn to do something a certain way, say I, I brush my teeth with my right hand and I do it, you know, this um, unconscious competence where I just pick up my toothbrush and I'm off I go duh, 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 duh. and then I try the other hand and I'm like what in the name what is happening you know or they think there's a little clip on YouTube about somebody riding a bike where the, it's it's the different directions and it's backwards cycle it's all this and the handlebars are reversed and all that and how simple something that you've done so automatic for a long time then becomes this real conscious effort to tune in and, oh, you know, so how, where am I at at this stage of development? So we've got this um, this way of doing something until someone, until you expose yourself to a multitude of different ways of doing something that you then go, why are they doing it that way? And the curiosity comes in. So the unlearning part, yeah, there's loads of steps um, and there's loads of there's loads of ways to do it. So there's going into other environments in your sport or not in your environment or different listening and seeing how different people react, which I, um, I was watching something recently on on TikTok and how quickly, gosh, those videos fly through. You know, when you think of how we talked about long periods of time together and people's attention span and their need to satisfy something, you know, oh, this is funny. This is what I need right now. Um, but I was watching a clip on a courtroom case that's on at the moment. And um, there was one piece where they zoomed in on somebody and their reaction. And I thought, like, how can we do that as coaches? How can we zoom in on one person instead of the I need to deliver this because this was in my plan? I need to speak this way instead of kind of taking a pause back, having a scan holding asking a question or putting them into groups if they're a certain age or it's not familiar uh, to them to be answering questions and seeing what responses you're getting and then you kind of go oh so I'm not I'm not necessarily taking away the way I did it I've used the way I've done something to launch me into a new space to learn another way of doing something wow I hope that people are taking notes I can listen to this all day because I think it relates to the mindset how we do a task with our body as well it's sort of all encompasses our, our overall performance could you just share you shared your book briefly but just for the listeners listening in, could you like share what the book is about like in a bit more detail and if you wouldn't mind sharing a few of the chapters that you know you're using yourself to elevate your performance as a coach yeah 100 percent. so amy and i Gosh, I can't tell you the starting point. I'm nearly going to say it was over 18 months ago now, maybe two years, came to me. Uh, so we got together, we chat a lot anyway, good friends. And she said, I've been contacted by a publisher. Would you be interested in putting a book together? Um, I said, yeah, well, we're not the experts. So what do we do? And we looked at our networks. I was working on the ground. Amy works on the ground as well, but lives in academia. I'm um, in that wonderful world of research at the forefront of everything. And she said, right, I've got some really key people who I know will explore some myths. I was hearing them on a regular basis. And so we said, let's do a myths of sports coaching book that will be accessible for people. So this book is cheapest chips on Amazon. It's fluctuating on Amazon between like 13, 15 and 17. Um, and it's on, you know, in a, in a bulk buy, it's on the publisher's website, Sequoia. But that was important for us, the cost of the book, the feel of the book, the experts. So there's 32 contributors across the book from 12 different countries. So that level of diversity was at the forefront. Um, people who are practitioners on the ground, academics, sharing all of their research um, with the myths that they've come across. So I was able to go to coaches, the wider audience of people going, yeah, but learning styles, Jen, listen, I just did my level two there two years ago. It is it's, it is a thing. And we're going, well, we've got some researchers who've done a whole heap of stuff. We're going to bring this right back to you. So anyway, the book came ah, magically and it's been it's been amazing, the feedback and I mean, Amy and I are not millionaires on this book. This is, you know, it wasn't the driver you know, to go off and buy um, many, many houses off the book or whatever. It was really to hear that we could act, hear from coaches, teachers, um, some athletes, some people getting into coaching, some students, loads of students, some performance directors in their uh, governing bodies saying this has made a difference. 
this chapter has been a pivotal point of a conversation that we've had. Um, somebody posted yesterday, a teacher, uh, this is great, uh, the couple of chapters that they screenshotted around uh, kind of the functional and fundamental movement chapters and this whole idea of ecological dynamics theory. Oh, great, I can't wait to share this with the other PE teachers. This is great for teachers. Um, and I thought, amazing, we're only six months into the release, but yet there's people bringing it back when they've had a chance to, as they say, pick it up and put it down. So the 20 chapters allow you to go, what do I need right now? What did I hear the other day? I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to put it back down again. And the last part, which and I can go through some chapter headings, the last part that was really interesting was we put a QR code because I'm a big people's person, shock are you will never have guessed. And people can now scan at the start of the chapter the QR code that brings up a YouTube link of the authors or author of the book sharing you know, their research, a synopsis of the chapter, but the person, the people connect. I'm not, you know, I can now go off down, you know, a Swanee Avenue and look up Colin Cronin's work and care and coaching and go, oh yeah, he talked about that in a little clip. And I didn't really see that in the chapter. So that's brilliant. That's an extra benefit of that. And then they've extended their time to say once a month from now until November, 2023, each chapter author or authors are going to give us a free hour at the end of each month so uh, the last Wednesday of every month so next Wednesday Colin Cronin is going to do an hour webinar free of charge exploring his chapter his research the myths and I think it's you know it's just fantastic and we've got people every month thereafter until November sharing and we've had Anna on already we had Diane Culver Don Vincent and Tiago Duarte um, calling in from Canada talking about communities of practice and landscapes of practice so we've got everything in there. We've got, uh, not well, not everything, because there is a part two. Oh, disclosure. Um, but yeah, there, you know, we had enough to rock and roll nice and early, and then there'll be more in the next book that comes out. But we've we've covered the deliberate practice term. We've covered fundamental movements and all the myths around that. We've covered, uh, I've, I've mentioned a couple, a couple of ready parents are in there as well. Nutrition myths are in there. Uh, practitioner side of things with sports psychologists. So we've got three active sports psychologists in different environments sharing their experience and the myths that they've faced when they go to different environments and say, oh, you're going to solve this problem because you're the psych. So yeah, there's, there's gold in there. I won't spoil it. I won't spoil anymore no what makes you smile it goes back to one of our sort of first topics we discussed right at the beginning with like teaching methods so it's not just buying a book you've got that visual learning of like write like written words do the qr code and you've got visual learning of seeing that connection which i love so it's like different senses of learning at the same time but with the same content i really love that that is really cool and look out of interest, then I'm putting you on the spot because we've talked on so many different topics. But if you had to like define what a great coach is or teacher, because you've mentioned that sort of correlation of similarity, like what would be your definition of a great coach and teacher? So I don't think teaching and coaching is the same. I think there's similarities. But if you were to look at some of the stuff we've talked about today, it's probably subliminally in there. The self-awareness piece is important. That ripples across loads of areas. If you have a why behind what you do without getting very Simon Sinek on us, I think if you can revisit that and really ask yourself, is this a priority? Then the care will come in, the empathy will come in, the willingness to develop yourself, which is a self-awareness piece. Knowing your stuff, having the knowledge and the imparting of the knowledge or the pedagogy piece is so important. So you can have all the knowledge you want in the world, but if you're not able to get that out and convey it in whatever the needs of the learners are in front of you, you, you know, unfortunately it just stays with you or is wasted and lost on, you know, on a few or um, even, even some, but it's not, it's not an enjoyable experience if it's tough for you and tough for them. Um, I think there's got to be a curiosity sharing kind of mentality in there, even if the sport is just a one-to-one -one and in you know in some cases we know that team sports are made up of individuals so we've got this opportunity for you to be curious as to why seek to understand um as i think stephen covey quoted that but you know i'm, I'm trying to understand why so somebody comes with this absolute rage at me 
what like why what's really going on why have they done that and then there's a right and wrong way with standards and stuff but really you know at the first instance what's happened <laughs> you know what's going on here um so we've got we've got the care we've got the empathy you need to be organized and plan you really do like at the end of the day i'm not saying that i've, I've seen coaches in all different sports have really meticulous granular detail in their planning and then others have it a little looser so i'm not saying around that but they've planned they've planned for the delivery of the session the balance within the session the momentum the breaks so this idea that all the athletes might not want to be drinking at the same time in team sports where they say go get a drink well what if somebody needed to drink a little bit earlier or you know we're looking at an age group in the autonomy park but i think you know knowing your stuff knowing why you're doing what you do like I mentioned some theories and models probably intertwined there, but it is important that people understand some of the, the really key underpins of, of um, motivation in athletes, that they have good signposting for the athletes. And this all comes under that knowledge piece, I think, both of the, the technical, the tactical execution, the relationship building, coach-athlete relationship stuff. Sure, listen, it could be endless. Look at me waffling on here, but, you know, there's there's some... The great coaching part has three components for me. It's what does it look like? What does it sound like? And what does it feel like? And you can do that from any angle. So if I'm a parent and I don't know, or if I'm a student um, uh, that's coming into an environment or I'm a new coach and I don't know what you know good coaching or great coaching looks like, then I can definitely see how it makes me feel. What am I hearing? Is there a lot of noise? Who's making most of that noise? Who's filling up that space? Is it just the coach? Ah, ah, red flag. Um, and then the other side is, um, so see, hear, feel. Yes, see. Are you seeing long lines if it's an invasion sport and somebody's at the end and they go, oh, that kid's naughty. Oh, that kid's bored. That kid's not naughty. That kid's bored. They didn't come to hit a tennis ball one every two hours or one every 20 minutes, you know? So um, I've got very team sport on those examples. But yeah, I think there's a lot of things around the planning, the empathy, the care, the organization, the knowing your stuff that is really important. But the see, feel here can help people because um, they do have an idea, even if you've not played sport before. Absolutely. And again, I just hope people are enjoying this conversation and taking notes too. But Jenny, what have you enjoyed the most from your coaching career journey looking back right now? I probably would struggle to pick out a single moment. As I mentioned earlier, the emotions are a big part. They help me learn quite a bit. And the uh, I say a lot about environments and stimulus and experience. And it's, it, you know, I can say it's a particular event, but it was really the people that made those events for me. It was the, the people, the love, the care, the excitement, the fun within those. It doesn't mean that, and I say this often, when we think about fun and enjoyment, it doesn't mean that we look for smiles and then we tick the box. Oh, they're smiling, they're having fun. It's this achieving your goal. It's the the moments in my career where I've, I've been so fortunate to be surrounded by incredible people, infectious people that give you this boost of energy, help you see things in a different way. People who took me under their wing and said, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll take you through this. I'll help you navigate this space. And I've had, you know, a lot of those people that I am in, in debt to, and I often check back in and let them and remind them that, you know, thank you so much for being part of the journey, for supporting me, for believing in different parts. You know, there's loads of negatives in there as well, but we don't need to, we don't need to kill the end of the podcast with that. But those of, you know, I could, I could easily as well as people sometimes do where you have your typical measures of success say, oh, yeah, I went to a World Games twice in this place and that was amazing. But again, it was the people in the buildings that we stayed in. So our Ireland block or the teams we played against or the assistant coach having great one to ones after one particular tough loss. You know, I remember those snapshots. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I think, yeah, let's keep it all positive. But I think it's important to like highlight that, you know, what you do and what loads of other coaches do is the dedication, without a doubt, with my podcast, academics and coaches, I'd say are the most dedicated in this industry because it's like a 24-7 gig in a way because you're always thinking about the care, which I'm so glad you brought up. Care and environment, I would say are two words that I know you're passionate about with regards to the role you do. And I'd like to finish with an inspirational question. And please, like you've shared so much here, case studies, theories, processes. But with regards to like pursuing a career in the coaching industry, because you've shared the different sort of journey now, like for the listeners listening in, we've talked about like the grassroots, talked about the high performance, but 
with regards to pursuing a career in coaching, like what would those three qualities be? And feel free to recap, but just for somebody to take action afterwards, they've got those qualities in place. Uh, something my granddad said to me um, years ago, he said, it's easy to ask for forgiveness over permission. So it's say be bold. Be bold, be ask of people, you know, I think bold probably, you know, I don't mean be naughty, but like be bold, ask those courageous questions, offer your time out um, to other people and step into those spaces. It's, it, courage, I think, is probably the best way of be bold, be courageous and, and be present in those rooms, ask those questions and have the confidence to do that. I'm not a big fan, you know, as I say it there of saying be confident because I think that, you know, that's people's journey and their different experiences. And um, but I do think that space there around stepping into something that's new, having the courage to do that, following your passion all under that bubble. Um, in, in order to do that, I think you need to know your stuff. So when I say the stuff, you know, if it's the world of basketball that I'm you know, sure of my coaching degree that I'm going to go down that avenue, then who are the people I need to have in my network, the strategic people, in order to be courageous and go into these spaces and go to the national team practices, I need to know my stuff, I need to know why, um, you know, the different types of people that I might be involved in, motivations, some theories, some ways of operating and communicating with people, um, because that's really important. It isn't all about the tech tech, it's about the connection, but that mushy together, I think is really nice, mushy together, that's not even a word. But anyway, marrying that together, I think is helpful. And to be able to have that package, not a ready-made package, but you know your stuff and you can have a conversation with someone and then learn and then add to that each time as we say the toolkit. Um, I think self-awareness, I'm going to go back to it. We've mentioned it a good few times, yeah. I think the other two things I've mentioned there will probably come under that umbrella anyway, but that's in all the other stuff I said about the great coaching and all the other stuff that we've mentioned already. I think if I'm self-aware and I'm developing myself, I have a plan, I'm developing the plan, I've got a network of people, I'm growing, all of that. The other two areas of being courageous and asking questions of people, putting yourself in those vulnerable spaces, um, I think those kind of three things are, you know, are the way to go. Um, because if you know your stuff and you go into those spaces, opportunities happen and their doors open. Absolutely, particularly being brave right from the get-go. Um, wow, what a lovely conversation. I hope the listeners have enjoyed it as much as I have. Out of interest, how can people interact with you online? Like, Where are the best places to go? So Twitter, I'm usually on Twitter, so you can follow me at JennyCody10. And then um, you could email me, JennyCody at gmail.com for a conversation. I'm good on the phone and, and Zoom calls when I can get some windows of time. So uh, although, Ed, you'd argue that now with the changing of schedule in the last couple of weeks, but usually I am. And I'm, as I said, I'm a people's person, so it's probably picking up the phone and just... You know, when you do connect with me, just pick up the phone and we'll have a conversation. That is great to all the listeners listening in. All those links will be on my website with regards to this blog post with regards to the podcast. Jenny, it's been such a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Wow, what a wonderful conversation with Jenny. And I always enjoy speaking to coaches and seeing their sort of point of view from their experiences, from their journey of what it takes to be a great coach. And with regards to today's podcast topic, I hope you've got a better understanding with regards to the benefits of unlearning as a sports coach. And like Jenny said, you don't disregard all that knowledge of unlearning. It's how you do things a bit differently to improve your performance or the team or your approach to something in general. If you don't want to be a coach, even my experience of podcasting I've had to unlearn a few things because things have moved on and with regards to how things are done or how to be more effective but it also creates another key theme which I so much enjoyed with regards to talking to Jenny but also learning from her is curiosity if you listen very carefully she used that word quite a lot and without a doubt something I've learned or used as a bit of a trait now with this podcast show being curious is so powerful because it shows you have like a real interest not just when you connect with people in the sports industry but it, you're willing to like discover new knowledge that's how I look at curiosity and whatever that knowledge you discover you can elevate it or go back and go well how can I get better at that curiosity of thought that somebody said 
And I just think, again, from a sports career development tool, being curious really is helpful. It sort of creates that growth mindset. It's something that, from my personal experience, when I've had all these great guests on my show, it's they come on the show because I've been curious of what they've done. And, for example, it's like the book with Jenny, understanding the myths, but understanding, let's say, the importance of language, which we discussed in this conversation. It got me more curious or being more mindful what I say at the end of each podcast as a sort of review of my learning lessons, but hopefully your learning lessons too with regards to if you want to be a coach or if you just want to be a better human being in how you communicate effectively, but also tapping into the different learning styles. So there's a little example of my curiosity of having Jenny on the show. But most importantly, what I so much enjoyed is Jenny's character. You could just hear the tone of her real interest of being a coach, but also her drive in being a better coach and what she does, questioning things where she speaks to colleagues or a network to make processes better, her coaching better. But it was her attitude, which I just didn't enjoyed the most to be honest like this whole conversation which created that real great energy of me leveling up my type of coaching style or how I educate through this mic um, to you guys who are listening in right now so I hope again you've got a better understanding of the benefits of unlearning but from a sports career development standpoint I hope you put those career tips right at the end with the to what it really takes to be a coach um, from a quality standpoint. And without a doubt, being bold is so important because it puts you out there and it actually gets you out of your comfort zone, which is key as well. Because the one thing I've learned about coaching, it's a skill set. When you master it with that type of audience you're coaching, if it's a young footballer who's nine or a footballer who's 19 or 29, you will learn so many skills of how you communicate with that type of player at that type of age group with regards to being an effective coach. So look, I really do hope you've enjoyed this podcast chat. Make sure you subscribe and leave a honest review of feedback of this show. And most importantly, put this podcast into action right now and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Jenny said, be bold, ask courageous questions and have that self-awareness because that is key to being a great coach.